And I end up in England in hospital and very wonderful girlfriend at the time. She helped me tremendously. And I think one of the things she brought in, of course, was my laptop and my 3G card. So there I was in the hospital and I had one working right arm. My left arm was in a, mm. this weird sling. It had to stick away from my body, mm. not towards the body. So my left arm was kind of like pointing straight up and out. I wasn't allowed to really even bend my knees, mm. let alone shift around. So I kind of angled my body and I tried to sneak my left arm in a little bit to type. And I was able to type and I had a 3G card. And I started conducting business from the hospital bed. And there was seven people in this kind of open room. I feel very sorry for them. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. I'm at JFK Airport in New York at the end of a two-week trip in the States, and I'm going back to London shortly about to get on the plane. But today I met Stoney Gruno, and he runs a really successful tech startup here in New York. He has about 20 staff around the world supporting him, and he's got the number one app in several categories in a particular B2B space that he'll describe in a moment. But what I find really interesting about Stoney's story is how he started at the beginning with no business idea, uh, playing around, just doing something he knew he could do and let it grow organically into first a consultancy and then into software. So if you ever want to create an app, if you ever wanted to run a tech startup, I think Stoney's story is incredibly inspiring and makes it very approachable. I hope you enjoy it. Stoney, thank you very much for making the time to record this podcast with me. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone. I think your story is so interesting because you started actually without a startup idea and you now have what I think you could qualify as a high growth startup. You've got 20 staff around the world um, and you've got the number one app in certain categories. We'll talk a bit about what that does. Uh, If we rewind and say, how did you start right at the beginning? Did you wake up one day with an amazing startup idea? It couldn't be further from the truth. So... (laughs) Let's, let's go way back. Mm. Um, I'm in my 40s now, and I was probably around 20 at the time, and I just needed some cash as a university student. And most of the jobs were like working in the dining hall. And I didn't particularly want to work in the dining hall, and I thought, what else? What else can I do? And I thought, well, uh, I worked at a cyber cafe for a year. And again, I'm, I'm just, you know, when was the last time you've been in a cyber cafe? They're not yeah. as popular nowadays. But I'd worked in a cyber cafe, and I thought, well, I know how to you know, help people send email. And again, 20 years ago, sending email, particularly if you were a retiree, was something that was just coming to the fore. And literally, it was grandmothers and grandfathers wanted to send emails to their grandkids. And I got business cards printed up for about $50. And I think I even bought a filing cabinet for $100. So that was the closest (laughs) I came to being a real business person. I owned business cards and a filing cabinet. And I figured I only have to work with a couple people a month and I've at least broken even compared to working in the dining hall. And it's certainly a lot more fun than, than taking food off plates in a, yeah. in a, in a busboy situation. So I did that. And luckily, my mom had been a teacher in the community for years. And so she knew tons of people. And I gave her some of my business cards. And every time they said, what's Stoney doing? 
she would say, oh, he's now doing computer training. Here, here's his card if you ever have any questions mm-hmm. or know anyone. And I think I probably half of that came in through my mom. And I took an ad out in the local paper. And that was kind of for computer training and computer consulting. And I don't know whether it was a mistake or whether they didn't have any other advertising space, but I paid for one month and they left it in there month after month <laughs> after month. So between my mom and a $100 investment in the local paper, I started to get a very slow trickle of clients. And it was, a, I want to emphasize, a very small volume. Hmm. So I think the first month I made $50 and that paid for my business cards. Yeah. And the second month I made $100 and that paid for my filing cabinet. But my month three, I was, I think I made, I don't know, who knows exactly how hmm. much, but all of a sudden I was making this money. And it took very, and I think if I had been doing this as a real business, I would have been sweating and concerned about how slow it was growing. But I didn't really care because I was going to university full time. So the fact that I was only making a couple hundred dollars a month was just, you know, a little bit of extra cash on the side. And it kept on growing and growing and growing. It got to the point where people knew me around town. And what also happened was people started off, I started off by helping them really, as I said, send email, nothing very glamorous. Mm. And then someone said, can you fix my printer? I was like, sure. Take a look at it. Oh, okay. I fixed it. And then someone said, can you set up my scanner? And then someone said, can you set up my wireless network? And I had no idea how to set up a wireless network. I had never set up a wireless network in my life. But I said, of course, I'd be glad to. Um, and I, I, I really kind of struggled through. And I Googled and I did all these things. And I finally got it working. And it had taken four hours. And I, I figured, you know, if I knew what I was doing, it only would have taken hour, <laughs> hour and a half. Yeah. So I went down to them and I said, you know, listen, I, I want to apologize for taking so long. I, don't, I think I was still, you know, learning a few more things. I didn't emphasize that I yeah. was learning everything. But I said I was learning a few, few new things. So instead of charging you for four, I'd like to charge you only one hour with your permission. And of mm-hmm. course, they said, great. <laughs> so I felt I had been completely ethical yeah. in charging them what they would have been charged. And in my mind, I had been paid to learn how to set up a wireless network. I, yeah. I couldn't think of a better situation in the world. So everybody was happy, and, and this just kept on ticking along. And then one time someone said, oh, can you help my, I forget it was a husband or wife, you know, my, my spouse has a business, can you go in and take a look at their computers? And all of a sudden I was doing computer consulting for small businesses. Mm-hmm. So over the course of eight or nine years, it just slowly and steadily increased. And I, I wouldn't say I was, and I, I always tried to do the best service, but there were some luxuries around this because I could always set my own schedule it was also incredibly reactive. I would basically work when my phone rang. If my phone didn't ring, I wouldn't work. So any one month, my revenue could be double or half the prior month. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I was living in my mom's basement at the time, yeah. so my expenses were not exactly over the top, and this was all extra money that was going to help college. But at a certain point, I was living off it very, very happily. And I did this for a long time, and I think somewhere around eight to nine years, I started to feel a pull where I looked at it and I thought, if I did this forever for the rest of my life, I certainly couldn't complain. I would be lucky to consider myself to have stable income and flexibility, but at the same time, I'm not challenged anymore. And I thought to myself, I want to do something different. And I had all these internal rules. And now I'll, I'll, I don't know if you have any questions, but I'll I'll Mm. jump into, right around this time, I moved to England Mm. and I kind of started afresh there. I don't know if you have any questions about no, 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 no. So when did you move to England? That would have been about 10 years after I started my business, or just started computer consulting. It wasn't even really a business, but after about 10 years of computer consulting, 
I moved to England, and I and that was about ten years ago from now. Okay, right. So I met you not long after that. And then, so when you moved to England, what did you do? Because you didn't have any contacts anymore. You didn't have your mum's friends. No, that would, have, that would have been lovely. But it, so, you moved to England with no job and no work, or did you? That is correct. Interesting. Um, and I did have someone's couch I could stay on for the first six weeks. Yeah. And then friends of other friends were out of town for a month, and I stayed. In, and there was one very nice lady I met at a running club, and she was going to Greece, and she said, I, I, have, a, I have a cat do you mind staying at my house and looking after it? And mm. I thought, this is great. So I got free rent there. It was a lovely cat that had lost an eye and it was always weeping. And she was apologizing. <laughs> she said, I'm sorry, my cat only has one. I was like, it's okay. I don't care. I'll happily feed your one-eyed cat. And I, I stay here in your lovely apartment. So I stayed in England for about seven months rent-free. And everyone says London is expensive. But actually, if you're living rent-free out of your suitcase, it's surprisingly inexpensive. But that that gets that gets boring, at, or a little bit, you know, being homeless in, yeah. in that couch surfing homeless gets stale after a while. Um, so I, I got a, a real apartment I was sharing with two other people, and I knew I wanted to stay in technology, or I certainly I like technology, so I thought I'd stay with that. That wasn't your degree, right? No, no I was I was yeah. an I was an English major. Right. Just oh, wow. mean, but you don't need to be any more than an English major uh, yeah. if you're just helping people send email. Yeah. I think any English major, now, this may not apply 20 years later, well, but... Yeah, I do think you've probably got a bit of a, like I have, a natural ability for technology. I mean, if you hate technology, this wouldn't be a good path. But it's a good illustration of how you can just start doing something. And then, so you're in the UK, and you now you've got to pay rent. What did you do then? So I knew I wanted to be in the technology world, but I also thought I'd like... I had a couple... I had a whole bunch of internal rules. One of them was I wanted to have a team. Because as much as I enjoyed working with people, what I didn't enjoy was the always having to answer your phone, always having to kind of be on and ready to go. And the other thing I didn't enjoy after a while about that reactive nature is you were never building anything. Mm. You were fixing things. And it was nice to fix things. And there was a satisfaction with John you had to fix this. But you so rarely created anything. So the idea of actually creating something over days or weeks was really inspiring to me. And I wanted to be able to go on vacation and turn my cell phone off. Yeah. So I wanted to have a team. So I can have had all these internal roles. And I had set up Google Apps for a couple of small businesses in America. And I thought, well, I'll just start doing a bit of Google Apps consulting. And I also wanted to work with charities. So I got involved in the charity space. And I ended up setting up a nonprofit. It wasn't exactly a donation-based charity. It was just We didn't accept mm-hmm. donations, but we just kind of tried to break even and help charities with our IT systems. Mm. And I started off in Google Apps, which is really, for those of you who don't know, it's just Gmail, but with your company domain and a couple other features. And while I really love Google Apps, it's not a great moneymaker for consulting because people will want to, you know, go through a sales process for two days and there's only a day of work. So it's, it's a very bad thing to kind of smell to well, sell to small businesses. Well, I remember when I met you and, and you said, I do consulting around free software to the non-profit section, I thought, good heavens, that's, that's, a, that's a hard sell. It is. It is. I, I, don't, I don't recommend that for those of you who want to uh, rapidly rise with the ranks of the business world. Um, but someone said, can you help me with Salesforce? And I started looking into it. And then another charity came along and they said, we don't have any money, mm-hmm. but we'd love for you to help us set up Salesforce. And I said, well, I'll be glad to do it for free. Mm-hmm. And that was my first client. And I worked quite hard and tried to do the best job I could. I don't think it was the greatest, but mm-hmm. it was literally me donating my time. And now I had a vague idea of how to help a charity with Salesforce. And then I got a, another contract. 
to help someone set up Salesforce, and this was for money. And I, I underbilled them because I didn't anticipate everything was going on. So I probably worked two to three times harder than I had billed. But that's okay. You know, in a sense, I was being paid to learn. Mm. Um, and I kept on working and kept on working. And all of a sudden, I got so busy that someone I knew also through their charity space, I said to his name was Paul. I said, Paul, will you come and work with me? Mm. And I said, I need help with Salesforce. I know you, you're reliable, you like IT, you've done a bit of Salesforce work before. This could be great. And he thought about it and I had never employed, and I didn't technically employ him because he was his own contractor in England, mm. but I never really had anything even resembling an employee before in my mm. entire life. And so he said, yes, um, I will work with you. Mm. Um, this is also when things went a little bit haywire in it, other now, regards. Just before you get into that, for people who don't know what Salesforce is, what is ah, it? Um, whenever you're dealing with a business, let's say you've got a problem with your, your cell phone and you call up your cell phone provider, your, mm-hmm. your, your wireless mobile provider, and you say, I am, I'm calling about my contract. You don't expect them to say, oh, well, we write everything down on a post-it note and yeah. it's, I don't have that post-it note or I just have this on an Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheet, but it's Bob's spreadsheet, he's out of office. They go into their system, whatever that is, and they look up your, your records. And a CRM is really just a fancy way of saying a database of all of your customer interaction. Yeah. And anytime you're dealing with a customer, uh, whether it's answering support questions or trying to sell to them or, or managing staff, who knows what, mm-hmm. you need to put that somewhere once you get to a certain size. Yeah. And, and if you're a small business, uh, often the best CRM is just Google Sheets. I mean, it's yeah. not officially a CRM. And actually when you're one person, Post-it notes can be a CRM. Yeah. So Salesforce is the is the, the number one app in that area. It's not terribly cheap by the standards I'm used to paying for apps for, for software, but it's it's uh, they took over from all these systems you used to have to install on your own computer, and they were in the cloud, and they made a big thing about that. You got involved in that fairly early, and so and then you're working with Paul. You said, and that something went wrong. Not I, I wasn't even working with him yet. So Paul agreed to um, work with me and he hadn't quite given notice yet. And I went on a, a ski trip and I had a rather bad ski oh, really? accident. That's when, you, oh right, yeah, that is bad timing, yeah. Um, and I ended up falling off, I, I also don't recommend doing this, I ended up falling off a hundred foot cliff. The mm. saving grace was I bounced a few times and I landed in snow and I was wearing a helmet and all in all, mm. I did live, but I, I was in the hospital in France and I was talking to Paul and he was like, <laughs> Stoney, is, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, bit of a bit of a ski accident, but um, but I think everything's okay. And he's like, can I can I still give notice? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it'll At this work point, out. you didn't know whether you were ever going to walk again, did you? No, I, I don't think I did. I mean, I was kind of optimistic, and the doctors were saying things like, don't move, or you might not be able to walk yeah. again. But but it was it was yeah, they were I think slightly okay. optimistic. Yeah, but they were definitely saying you can't sit or stand for three months. All right. And I was like, wow, three months always seems like a life sentence going forward. But mm, in, in looking yeah. back, it goes rather quickly. So I was in France for two weeks and then I was in England and thank goodness I paid for travel insurance. Yeah. So I got a nice little airline ride because you have to be flat for the airline ride if you can't sit or stand. Yeah. So they kind of trolleyed me into the airplane and there I was kind of looking out of the airplane, kind of upside down, staring at the clouds, no idea what's going on, on the ground. Um, and I ended up in England in the hospital and uh, a very wonderful girlfriend at the time, she helped me tremendously. 
And I think one of the things she brought in, of course, was my laptop and my 3G card. So there I was in the hospital and I had one working right arm. My left arm was in a, mm. this weird sling. It had to stick away from my body, mm. not towards the body. So my left arm was kind of like pointing straight up and out. I wasn't allowed to really even bend my knees, mm. let alone shift around. So I kind of angled my body and I tried to sneak my left arm in a little bit to type. And I was able to type and I had a 3G card. And I started conducting business um, from a hospital bed. And there were seven people in this kind of open room. I feel very sorry for them, but at least it was oh, better. Than... Were you speaking on Skype? Because I know what volume you speak on Skype. Huh? Yeah, I, I tried to keep it down. But, but you know, in my defense, it was either this or daytime television. Yeah. So I think I was perhaps more or at least as interesting as, as daytime television was going on. So I would be on my laptop and someone even came in. It was Alistair came in mm-hmm. and saw me in the hospital room. And oh, it was a customer, yeah. Yeah, so I actually had a customer mm-hmm. coming in. I was talking to all these customers on the phone, and they'd say, when can we meet? And I'm like, well, it's, it's not exactly a great time right now, but how about, a, how about in three weeks? And when I finally did get out of the hospital, um, I, would, I was living in my apartment, and it, thank goodness this was also by luck. I happened to be in a wheelchair-accessible apartment, mm. and I, I haven't been in one of those since, and I should actually yeah. think you never know when you're going to need that. So luckily, I was able to get around in a wheelchair, and I greet them at the door, mm. Um, and I and they're like, and I said, oh, I said I'd be in a wheelchair, but it was always kind of hit people. We'd go to the kitchen table, we'd work. It was great. And Paul was very helpful. Um, and, and when that one customer, Alistair, visited me in the hospital, for those of you who have never been in the situation, there's all these things you don't get to do that you take for granted. So if you can't sit or stand, mm. one thing you also can't do is get dressed. Yeah. So when Alistair was in the hospital, I was technically, and of course I was under the covers, but I was completely naked. <laughs> so there I was with a customer sitting next to me working on his laptop. I'm working on my laptop completely naked in a hospital. Mm. But there were realistically no other choices other than to just say, I'm not going to try to make money. And the pressure of having an employee or someone, the pressure of helping Paul make his monthly mortgage payments was mm. some of the greatest pressure I felt to that, to that mm-hmm. point. So I was... I was so focused on just making sure the company had enough money to pay Paul mm. as well as myself. Yeah. So the, the, that was rather difficult, but luckily things were building and, and it kept on going. And then I was allowed to, so it was, I was only in the hospital for two months. They allowed me to go into a wheelchair and I was a wheelchair for a month and then I was standing. And you know how you never forget how to ride a bicycle? You cannot mm. ride a bicycle, you're on it in a year. Not standing, you do actually forget. So the first time I stood, I'd been trying to walk around the house and I ended up actually falling down. Luckily, it was on a very large padded surface. But your, your muscles do forget walking, mm. whereas they don't forget bicycling. Mm. I don't understand this. Um, anyway, I hired Paul and then I hired uh, two and then three and then four. And then we got an office and I got an office admin and that was liberating. And I think we were approaching 10 staff, mm. all of us focusing on helping nonprofits use and leverage Salesforce. Mm-hmm. And Salesforce can be great for nonprofits because the first 10 licenses are free. Mm-hmm. So that makes it very attractive for some nonprofits um, at, all, at all stages of their kind of nonprofit growth mm-hmm. journey. Um, and around 10 staff, I also realized that while I think I was a very good consultant, I don't think I was a very good consulting manager. Mm-hmm. And I think and all our staff seemed to really enjoy themselves and we had a great time, but in terms of the profitability, things weren't getting any better every time I hired a staff member. Things were actually getting 
worse. Like we made more money, but we made less money per staff member. Right. And I figured, wow, maybe if I go to 20 or 30 staff members, we'll be bankrupt. This is, this is great. <laughs> and I, I use that obviously sarcastically. So I knew that my future was probably not running a consulting firm. It's very complex. I know from my time at Deloitte, you know, the numbers you measure are completely different. It, it is. It is tricky. And it's understandable. The customers want to pay less. The staff want to pay more. And if you want to grow your firm and hire a new staff, that money has to come from somewhere and it has to come between the differences. So you're constantly trying to balance growth against paying your staff against, you know, mm-hmm. giving the customer an appropriate price. And I... I guess other people can be much better than that. And I certainly enjoyed it, but at a certain point I said, that's enough. And I knew I wanted to do something different. And we, of course, were using Salesforce internally. We were using Zero, which is a very popular accounting system. It's out of New Zealand. Mm. And it's huge in New Zealand, Australia, and the UK. And it's kind of growing nicely in other parts of the world. Yeah. So we were using Zero, And I couldn't believe that Zero and Salesforce didn't completely talk to each other. There was one app out there that did a partial connection, but it didn't update it back to Salesforce regularly. And all I wanted to know is when I go to Salesforce and see a list of my customers, can I also see a list of my invoices that I have been that I have sent mm-hmm. and whether they have been paid? It seemed like such a simple question. And keep in mind, Zero was arguably the number one or number two cloud accounting system. Mm-hmm. Salesforce was the number one cloud CRM. I was like, how is it possible these two mm-hmm. don't talk? And I thought, I know, I'm gonna build an app how difficult can that be? <laughs> I later found out that it was insanely difficult. But, you know, if you if you know how hard something's going to be when you start it, you probably wouldn't have that started it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I we had leveraged several offshore developer companies in India while I was running third sector IT. And so these were companies that were used to developing on the Salesforce platform. And I called up one of them with a developer I knew and a company I liked. And I said can you help us do this? Can we, can we build it? And they said, yes. Of course, they're going to say yes. They're a, they're a consulting yeah. company, they, they, but they, they did a very good job. Um, and I had one developer, and I, I knew absolutely nothing, and my requirements were so simple because I didn't think anybody wanted anything more than what I wanted, or at least mm-hmm. I didn't know what they wanted. So we built it, and it was, didn't work perfectly, but what it, the one thing it did do is, as I, as I kind of wanted, all of your invoices in zero were copied over to Salesforce live up to date. Once an hour, it would check and say, are there any new or updated invoices in zero? Bring them over to Salesforce. And, and this was actually a big deal. So I released it on the Salesforce app exchange. And we had done this so cheaply that I didn't have two features that are rather important. Mm-hmm. The ability to turn it off and the ability to take money. So I just called it an extended free trial, yeah. figuring let's get them use it today I, I will build them for it as soon as I build That's in. an important lesson, right? So yeah. you launched an app with no way of charging people for it. And when you did start charging for it, no way of stopping them using it. No, I, the, the, the stopping them using it happened at the same time as sure, the charging. Sure, sure. But I mean, when you launched, you had oh, yeah, when I launched. things. And Even if someone had called me up and said, I'm just going to use this, you know, and they, maybe mm-hmm. they'd made an evil laugh and said, boah, ha, ha, I'm going to use this for free. Mm-hmm. And I would have been like, well, I, I can't turn you off, but give me three more months <laughs> and I'll turn you off. And after three months, we had the ability to both take money and turn it off. And I emailed everyone and said, I hope you've enjoyed the free trial. Um, here's the link to sign up. If you don't sign up, your extended free trial will, will turn off in, I don't know, a week or two or something like that. And I completely expected nobody to sign up. I was, I was like emotionally ready mm-hmm. for that. And much to my surprise, 
the vast majority of them mm. gave me money. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm rich. <laughs> and just to be clear, I was not rich. I was making now $600 a month, mm. which sounds good until you remember I was spending about four to $5,000 a month on that developer. Mm. So at this point, I was like, oh my goodness, what do I do? You know, and we just kind of kept on plowing ahead and very slowly. Um, and so the money for the developer was coming a bit out of savings and a bit out of just working my tail off, doing everything I could. Mm. And we got to the break-even point where the money coming in paid for that developer. And then we kept on getting more feature requests and customers said, well, as well as getting the invoices from zero to Salesforce, why on earth can't I go from Salesforce to zero? That's what I really want. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, give, us, give us a month or two. Um, hold on. And so we built that out. And the second they did that, they're like, well, yeah, I can create the invoice, but why do I have to retype the line items? I want that to come over. And I'm like, oh boy. And so we did that. And, and for a very, very long time, um, the money coming in from the customers was more or less equal to the money going out from the developers. Yeah. And I, I think you have to be okay with that. And I was doing, then that was in a way my side job because I was still running uh, the consulting company during that time. So it's still kind of the, 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 the day-to-day expenses were paid by that. Um, and I'm just kind of thinking back because you asked about, I think, the idea yeah. about how this happened. So there, there really was no idea. I started off trying to avoid a job working in the dining hall mm. by helping grandparents <laughs> yeah. send email. I accidentally turned into kind of computer repair and computer consulting, mm. which accidentally turned into small business computer consulting just because people said come into you know, my spouse's yeah. office, which when I moved to England purposely turned into Google Apps Consulting, which lasted three months until I realized that Salesforce was more effective. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't even planned on hiring anyone. Well, I guess I did, but who knows? It wasn't that forethought out, but it just when I had so much business coming in, I had to have someone help me. Then it turned into two people and then so forth. And then when I realized I didn't want to do consulting anymore, mm-hmm. I had we not used that accounting system and I personally not struggled with that problem, who knows where my life would have led. Um, but because we had those two systems that didn't integrate and I thought there might be an opening here, let me give that a shot. Mm. That's what I went for. Wow. And so now, well, we better save it what the name of the app is. Oh, sorry. Uh, so I, I called it Breadwitter. Okay. Um, and, and I think that turned out to be an absolutely great name. Um, Though there's a bit of a ridiculous story behind it. I don't know if you want me to share that. So I didn't know what to call my company. And I came up with a couple of different combinations and different names. And people were like, no, 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 no. You can't call it that. Some of them were admittedly silly. And there was a burrito stand in London. And it's hard to come across a good burrito in, in London. You know, Mexican food mm-hmm. is not, it's now reaching London quite well. But when mm-hmm. I first got there, there wasn't that much Mexican. There was a burrito stand called Daddy Donkey Burritos, which is kind of a ridiculous name. I don't know. I was call my company Daddy, Daddy Donkey. And DaddyDonkey.com was taken, so I went for Daddy Donkey Labs. And then I was like, what do I call my, my app? Mm-hmm. And someone had shown me this very funny Star Wars mock-up video where Darth Vader's dialogue from other movies is overlaid in Star Wars. It's called Vader Sessions. And it's pretty funny to watch mm-hmm. in seven minutes if you've got nothing else. You've got YouTube itis. If you're stuck, 
it's 3 a.m. and you know you should go to sleep, but you're watching YouTube videos. Why not and watch Vader sessions? And in it, um, they're in the throne room, and he says, you know, Daddy is the breadwinner. You don't know. You don't bring in that bread. Don't go home. No, don't come home no more. Something, something like that. And I thought that's a, you know we're Daddy Donkey lads. Let's call it Daddy is the breadwinner. And then everyone said to me, Stony, that is an awfully terrible sexist name. And I thought, oh my God, you're right. Let's not call it Daddy is the breadwinner. And I only did that not because I thought Daddy was the breadwinner. We're uh-huh. Daddy Donkey lads. Right. Daddy is the breadwinner. Why not? I thought maybe breadwinner. And breadwinner.com was taken. Mm-hmm. So we went with breadwinnerhq.com, mm-hmm. which is a good way to afford a .com domain name before you can. Though I now believe you should do everything .com from day one, even if you have yeah. to pick a crazy name. Because the problem is once people know that you've got a major software business that's called breadwinner, then you say, hey, can I buy breadwinner.com? They're not going to give you a, a discount. We price. did eventually buy it, but luckily we weren't. We're not, we're still not in what I'd you call a major software think, yeah. business, still not famous. But we did buy breadwinner.com and it's been it's been called that. And it's been a lot of fun because breadwinner is associated with finance and bringing in money. Yeah. And our, our app helps people literally create invoices, which brings in money. Yeah. And you're number one on the App Store for... So we have a number of apps out there. We connect to Zero, which is big in the UK and Australia, and we're number one for that. We connect to QuickBooks Online, and we're kind of vying for number one with that. And we're launching a connection to Stripe and NetSuite, and maybe someday QuickBooks Desktop. And it's kind of just steadily moving along yeah. and growing. And you've got how many people now? So we've got 15 offshore developers in India which has been an amazing experience. Right. And in part, I've gotten to go over to India and work next to them. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's such a, a great experience of spending almost a month working next to the people who for years I had talked to on Skype mm-hmm. and the phone and seen on video sessions. And all of a sudden, there I was working next to them. And we've got about four or five people in the US and the UK. So I think this is fascinating. And it, because it's such a great story of how you come across creating a good app. And I think a lot of people, I often recommend to people, if you want to create an app, but you don't know much about the area, provide services first, because you're going to find out what the problems are and what's missing. I mean, do you have any other uh, advice about what people should bear in mind? If they want to have a software company like you and they're starting from scratch, it's all self-funded. What do people get wrong or what do people not know? I think I was really lucky because in any one year, Whatever I had done before made up about 80% of that knowledge. So I didn't just start a software company and pick something. I had actively used Salesforce. I had actively used Zero, And in fact, we had tried to solve it ourselves. Like first we had a field that just said invoice issued, checkbox, invoice paid. But then you have issues if it doesn't get updated or maybe there's two invoices or something like that. And we had tried all of these manual systems. So I really knew what wasn't working and I really knew what I wanted. And that's the Paul Graham test. Uh, I think he said, you know, you've got a good startup idea if people are currently trying to solve that problem, but they're lashing it together with sellotape and rubber bands in technical terms. And it's kind of frustrating and janky and awkward. And then you've got an opportunity. Yeah. So I I think that that if I had gone from being an English major when in my 20s yeah. to software development, I don't, I don't, I, I can't imagine it would have gone that well, nor did I even know what problems were. So I think being, trying to solve my own problem in a business situation yeah. led to the accidental discovery of a pain point. And it might have not been a pain point for anyone else. Mm. You know, 
And I got a, I, we also, I think, got lucky that other people actively wanted to solve it. Had only one-tenth the world wanted, one-tenth as many people wanted to solve it, I don't think it would have been as successful. And you're a big believer in selling B2B rather than B2C. If you do a startup in the B2C space, customer acquisition is what's really hard, isn't it? I don't, I don't, I really don't know anything about what it would be like to sell into the B2C space. I will say one other thing, though, regardless of the space you sell into, it's nice if people can articulate their problem and search for it on Google. Right. So you take Salesforce as a CRM. You'd hope that everyone would Google, I need a CRM. But very often people need a database when they're growing and things start to break down. And it's like, you know, so imagine you're, um, you know, a, a physiotherapist. You'd like everyone to search for, I need a physiotherapist yeah. in my town. But maybe they're searching for my knee hurts. Yeah, or how to cure back pain or whatever it is, exercises for back pain or yeah. yeah, and I, I think we we found it very easy to find customers because people would Google, I want to connect Salesforce to Zero, or they would just Google Salesforce Zero integration, Salesforce Zero sync. Mm-hmm. So they would Google their named problem. They, they could articulate their problem. I need to connect Salesforce to Zero. And then they would come up with a solution. And I've heard of people come up with business ideas. For instance, one of my friends want, said that he loves snowboarding. He loves going down the mountain. He's always recording on GoPro, but at the end of the day, he's got eight hours of footage and he wants to compress that down into two or three minutes to share. And he almost wanted there to be a service for that. And I said, that's a great idea. But the problem is how many people in this situation actively search for, you know, go to Google and say, I want to search for a professional. He goes, I don't know. I said, did you? He goes, no. I said, here you are thinking about starting a business and even you're not searching for it. So I think if you're going to start a business, it's nice if the pain is Googleable, mm-hmm. and even nicer, it's nice if your business is small enough that there's not that many other competitors. We only had one competitor when we launched. So for us to be number two, we were number two from day one because there were mm-hmm. only two people on the planet who did yeah. this. And then we eventually became number one. So it's also nice, though, I guess I would say, try to do something where people on their own will accurately search you out because trying to find people can take a very long time. And there's nothing wrong with picking a niche that's small enough that you're going to be on Google's first page from day one. Mm. Um, So I can't think of any particularly silly analogies right now, but, you know, let's say you want to be the world's greatest hat seller. Mm -hmm. Maybe don't try to launch the world's greatest hat selling business. Try to sell the world's greatest purple baseball cap with rhinestones in circles. And maybe someone will Google that and bingo, you're going to come up first. So I do like starting niche that's what I would suggest, yeah, super niching. Well, that's fascinating. I, I think it's such a great story, and uh, I look forward to seeing where Breadwinner goes next. I, I look forward to it um, as well. And People want to find out anything about you. You don't really have a blog or anything like that, but, but no, you can go to breadwinner.com. You can to go to breadwinner.com. You have Salesforce, and you have pretty much any finance app. We try. Then, uh, then Stoney's company will, will probably have something to help you. Uh, I've been recommending you to my accountant. Other than that, you don't really do social media and things like that. No, no. Um, And I I also don't think anybody actually wants to hear about invoice synchronization. (laughs) You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to follow that guy. He really talks well about invoice (laughs) synchronization. I describe us as a little bit like crazy glue. Nobody really wants to hear about crazy glue until they break a saucer. And at that moment, they actively want crazy glue. They use it. 
And then they put it back in the drawer and forget about it. And in mm-hmm. a sense, breadwinner is there when you say, oh my goodness, our company is struggling. We need to connect Salesforce to our finance system. Otherwise, our, our inefficiency will kill us. But other than that, it's okay. Nobody, I joke, nobody at a, at a dinner party ever says, oh, tell me more about your invoice data synchronization. <laughs> it's okay. You know, the other nice thing about being boring is nobody, I think, don't think, wakes up in the morning and tries to, you know, compete or kill yeah. our business. Yeah. We're so boring that, that anybody with a with a decent <laughs> social life is hopefully going off and trying to start the next Facebook or the next yeah, WhatsApp. Right. And good luck on them. We'll be over here quietly syncing in, invoices. Yeah. Nice and boring. Great. Well, thank you, Stoney. It was a real pleasure, John. Thank you for having me on here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast. Podcast.